first and foremost, we focused on our talent and our development. Uh, that's most important in the last eight or nine years, really intently on our core purpose and our core values and, and behaviors. And that's, that's continuous. Welcome to the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast, where we uncover the stories behind successful machine shops and their owners. By interviewing current and former shop owners, we dig deep to unveil their secrets of success and the struggles and challenges they've overcome on their paths to building thriving shops. We aim to elevate how important the machining industry is and inspire others by highlighting why owning a shop can be a great vehicle to creating jobs, stimulating the economy, and creating wealth. Here's our host, former machine shop owner himself, Paul Van Meter. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another episode of the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast. I am your host, Paul Van Meter, and... It is with extreme pleasure that I share this uh, just fascinating conversation with Michael Tomasi from AccuRounds. Um, I met Michael through an NTMA, uh, through the NTMA at various meetings and connected most recently uh, and invited him to be on the show. And boy, am I glad I did that. that. This last hour plus has been one of the most fascinating conversations I've had in a very long time. And I know that uh, you are going to get tremendous value from this interview. Michael is one of the more thoughtful uh, guests I've had. And we talk uh, all, about all sorts of wide-ranging topics from, from values um, and branding and more on values and uh, account segregation with, with clients Um and uh, their All You uh, program for lifelong learning, uh, the importance of industry associations, and just being a lifelong learner in, in general, and instilling that in the organization. Uh, community engagement, lean manufacturing, and, and how much they've been, how much they have done with their lean efforts over over thirty years or so. Uh, we even I even learned that they bought a farm uh, <laughs> and, and grow produce for their team. Absolutely incredible. So uh, enjoy this one. Uh, get your pencil out. He talks about all sorts of books and other things that uh, he has learned from in the past. Uh, and if you want me to do a second episode, please uh, send a note on LinkedIn, uh, make a post about it, tag him and myself, uh, and let's make sure he uh, gets on for a second one because there's all sorts of questions I didn't even get to. Um, so anyway, without further ado, let's uh, let's this wonderful uh, conversation with Mike Tomasi. Well, good afternoon, Michael. How's it going today? It's going great, Paul. Good afternoon to you. Pleasure to be yeah. with you this afternoon. Yeah, thank you so much. As we were just saying, uh, kind of connected at an NTMA event recently, and uh, I have so many folks that I know that just have huge respect for the company you run and, and how you um, have grown it and your, just your engagement in the industry. So thank you so much for being willing to share a bit of your knowledge and expertise with my audience today. Sure. Appreciate the kind words and uh, looking forward to our discussion. Yeah. So let's uh, start by uh, having you share a little bit about AccuRounds and your maybe your background as well um, and just kind of uh, the, the story of how you got into the metalworking industry. Sure. Well, I'm a second generation family business owner, Michael Tomasi. AccuRounds are located in uh, Avon, Massachusetts. So, um, my background, I, um, I kind of say I was born into the business because, you know, my father started it, right? But I went to uh, 
engineering school at UNH, got my mechanical engineering degree, mm-hmm. um, took a semester off, worked uh, worked here in Avon, and then went back to school for uh, my master's in business administration at Babson College. So I kind of play, uh, you know, I can be an engineer, or I can be a business guy, right? Uh, right. I can play both ends of the, both the, That's ends nice. of the fence there, yeah, which is nice. Um, you know, the company, uh, we are an advanced manufacturer, again, located in Avon, Massachusetts. We do contract precision machining. Uh, my father purchased a company in 1976 that was strictly conventional machining. Oh, wow. It was a lot of Tornos and, and uh, Strom uh, uh, cam operated Swiss screw machines. And uh, we had some bridge ports at the time in Hardin's Lays. We still have those now. Uh, but we purchased our first CNC Swiss in 1978. So kind of on the leading edge of that type of uh, machine tool, which is very common now. It's become very popular in the last 15 to 20 years. But, um, you know, we were, uh, again, on the leading edge of that technology. And uh, we have uh, a huge bank of Swiss machines now, along with some CNC lathes, some CNC milling machines, and uh, CNC cylindrical grinders as well. Nice, broad uh assortment of equipment. So when did you take over the business from your father and maybe what did the company look like at that time versus how it does today in terms of size, machines, revenue, whatever, employee count? Sure. So, you know, high school, college, summers, breaks. Um, I started sweeping the floors, packaging parts, um, Mm -hmm. and then eventually got onto the machines, right? Um, And just took a liking to making stuff, you know, and working with my hands and and the interaction and and the challenge really of putting the talent you have in the business to match it with the equipment that you have with the customers and the work you're getting. So, um, you know, I kind of worked through all different facets of the organization before I basically uh, in 1993, 94, really became president of the company, Um, you know, my father. Uh, unfortunately, had a heart attack prior to that and really realized that the business was outgrowing him. He was an immigrant from Italy, um, mm-hmm. went through the school of hard knocks. He, um, his education was very informal. He went to uh, Wentworth Institute of Technology, took classes, but never really took a test or worried about grades because he just cared about the knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. He came here when he was 17 with uh, not being able to speak the language and wow. um, really was had the intuition second to nobody that I've ever known because he just had a knack for making decisions, taking and taking risks at the right time. And, uh, you know, I learned a tremendous amount from him. He was obviously my father first, you know, my boss second, my mentor third, and ultimately, uh, you know, my best friend in, in the later years of his life. So it was quite, quite an evolution. Uh, from a relationship standpoint that uh, I cherish to this day. He was gone 14, uh, 14 years uh, a week ago, actually. Oh, wow. But he's he's looking down on us, um, you know, from above and kind of has a hand on my shoulder and, uh, and everything that I do. Very cool. And um, so just so, so you've been running the place for about 30 years now as the president. Um, and what size was the company when you took it over and what kind of, what has the growth been looking like over the last 30 years? So my father bought a building uh, and shortly after he purchased the company in 79 and he moved it 
to Avon. So the company was a couple of towns over. Mm-hmm. Um, he moved it to a 20,000 square foot facility. He put um, 7,000 square feet in addition shortly thereafter. And then almost 10 years ago now, we could talk about this a little later, but uh, we added 18,000 square feet. So we're currently at 45,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I started, we had about uh, probably 28 or 29 team members yep. uh, doing a couple million in revenue. And we currently have 83 team members. And uh, we topped, uh, we hit almost 20 million last year. <laughs> Congratulations. That's fantastic. That's significant growth. Yes. It's been yeah. quite a run. So, um, that's the type of growth that many shop owners would be envious of. How, how have you gone about uh, achieving that? Do you really focus a lot on sales and marketing or are you, um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your, your strategy. Yeah. So, that. so interesting enough, it's not a straight line as you would have guessed, right? You've had, your, sure. you have your Never runs is. and your dips and your runs and your dips. And, um, we're coming off of, Three years ago, fifty percent, and I think we'll take it. We'll dial back actually a little bit this year. A couple mm-hmm. of accounts and industries are down, but um, you know, quoting activity is pretty brisk, and we don't expect that to last long, which is uh, part of the diversification strategy. But um, you know, the run has been interesting. When we started, we had uh, over two hundred accounts that we were dealing with, um, okay. and we were actually spread too thin. It was too many accounts to service. So mm-hmm. um, first and foremost, we focused on our talent and our development. Uh, that's most important. And in the last eight or nine years, really intently on our core purpose and our core values and, and behaviors. And that's that's continuous. Um, secondly, looking at our customer base and really identifying our key accounts, um, our target accounts, and our maintenance accounts. So we split our account mm-hmm. base up into those three categories, key being the core, the 80-20 rule, the 20% of your accounts that they're driving your business and you want to grow with and they want to grow with you. Uh, maintenance accounts, those are the accounts that, you know, you may not have a huge upside with them, but they give you some good work. They're good mm-hmm. accounts, good people to deal with, and we keep those. Um, target accounts are the kind of new accounts coming in, and, and, and we look at them based on uh, uh, industry, based on size and potential. Right. And there's a lot of research that goes along with that. Um, we, we're not looking to add uh, accounts every week, every month. We'd sure. like to add a key account every year or two. Key meaning it can grow into, uh, I mean, a target meaning it can grow into a key account down the road. Mm-hmm. So, and you never know how that might play out. but. Um, we do, we do some marketing. We used to do trade shows. We don't, we used to have reps. We don't, and I've been binging on your podcast. So I know there's, there's different strategies in, in this industry, as you know, cause you've been in it for a while now, mm-hmm. there's no one way to be successful. There's right. many ways to be successful. And we, Absolutely. we had a lot of success with, with our reps, manufacturer reps. We had three that canvassed, um, a good part of the North Northeast. But we realized, um, you know, maybe about 10 years ago that we needed the direct contact. We couldn't have that middle person on the road being mm-hmm. a conduit for, infra- for information. It wasn't working for us. Got it. So we have a VP of sales internally. We have a, a sales team lead and a couple of internal um, sales account managers that, 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 you know, leaders that work with uh, our accounts on a daily mm-hmm. basis. Um, we have a director of marketing, happens okay. to be my sister. 
Uh, she works part time and is always looking for, uh, you know, opportunities to place, um, you know, our marketing efforts. I'll tell you, one of the biggest things for us in the last four or five years has been branding, and mm-hmm. it's been on LinkedIn, on Instagram, uh, on X. You know, promoting the things that we do and branding not only from an, a sales standpoint, but branding from a human resources standpoint. Absolutely, you know, attra- attracting talent, right? Yeah. Creating, uh, making sure people understand what we do here in Avon for our team members and hoping that we will attract the type of individual that appreciates the things that we do for our team members. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So coming back to you talking about your different segment of accounts, which I think is a really great uh, idea, are is a key account um, something that has a certain percentage of revenue, you know, of your total? percent or more or, or less yeah yeah that's part of it it's got to be in in, in in one of the target industries and, and we look at our marketing position statement we look at it a couple times a year but every year we do a refresh okay. um, and there's certain questions and I got this years ago probably 25 years ago at an NTMA conference oh, from, nice. uh, from a presenter it's a two-page document and you just go through a series of questions you know what are the industries you want to be in or target what size companies do you want to do business with? What mm-hmm. a couple of other characteristics are you looking to do? And what do you, from a, a company standpoint, marketing to, uh, you know, those industries to attract that work? Right. Um, so we have a filter and, and we've been very fortunate uh, that we're constantly getting RFQs from companies. And before we consider even quoting a part, we look at the company and do our research and see if they meet the filters in the marketing position statement and have mm-hmm. the ultimate potential to grow. So, you know, we've turned away opportunities that maybe won't fit the company and the, and the, the uh, account that we want to add that could grow into that, that right. industry, but it's, it's industries in its size. And it's also, you know, reputation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there are some well-known companies out there that we, have refused to do business with because we feel they don't treat their suppliers with the yeah. respect and mutual uh, partnership that we like to engage in with our accounts. And is that from like a, like a DNB rating or just some back channel references of, you know, do they pay yeah, on time more, or stuff like that? Yeah. More back channel references. I mean, I'm sure you've been approached and maybe you haven't, but companies that want to pay you in 90 or 120 days. Well, sure. We're not going to let a multi-billion dollar public corporation grow on the backs of small business. It's just not Absolutely. how we approach business. Um, you know, they have billions in the bank and they want to mm-hmm. extend payment terms. Yet we're paying our, our vendors in 15, 20 days because, you know, when we need something, they're going to do work for companies like this. That That's one of the lessons that my dad taught me years ago. Absolutely. You know, pay them on time early because if they have to choose which job they're going to do, they're going to do the job they're going to get paid for first. You and, you know, we like to be treated in, in a similar fashion Absolutely. by our customers. Well, it's an enviable position that you have enough, what I call positive sales pressure, that you can be selective and say, no, sorry, your reputation precedes you and we just don't need your work. So that's a, that's a fantastic position to be in. Yeah, you know, there's, there's ebbs and flows to that. I mean, we're not, we're not being, you know, we're not on some type of mountain and, and you know, shooing away accounts here and there, but sure. we'll politely, we'll politely engage in, in discussions with customers that we don't feel are presenting us with the proper terms of engagement. Yeah. Uh, we're actually in a situation right now with that. 
uh, master service agreement that was extremely, you know, one-sided and to be honest, insulting. Um, mm. And, and, you know, we'll engage in dialogue to try to get that to a point where we're willing to sign something. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so when, how long, it, it was a couple of years ago now that you really focused your internal um, uh, sales and marketing efforts as opposed to those external sales reps? Um, yes. Yeah. It's been about 10, 10, 12 years now that um, the last uh, sales rep, is no mm -hmm. longer with us and um, yeah we have a great a great sales team um, through covid obviously there wasn't a lot of travel uh, and that's where we we grew immensely just because of the pressures of covid and the work returning to this country and the dynamics mm -hmm. that continue today mm -hmm. uh, we were in a fortunate position so they weren't out um, hunting as much as um, probably they'd like to be um, and kind of a little more back in that mode today which is which is nice uh, mm -hmm. You know, we were behind in work for a long time, uh, right. and actually, as of today, we have zero dollars past due, which is um, amazing. A nice place to be in. Uh, yeah. We like a little more work, and you know, we're out there hunting again, which is great. And that's on top of fifty percent year-over-year growth recently. So you've been growing like crazy. It sounds like. Yeah, it's been a real interesting four or five years here with the growth in revenue, but the the filling up with the addition of our facility, I never thought we'd be in a point where we'd be busting down some old office areas because we need a floor space, but we've already done that once and we may have to do that again because the amount of investment we've made from a technology standpoint has been beyond anything we've ever done in a five-year period in our history. So it's, can it's you, exciting. Yeah. Can you give us a little more detail on that? Sure. A couple of customers drove us to invest in, in projects and part families, which is real exciting because typically companies in our industry that are contract buy on spec, right? You oh, there's work, we're growing, let's buy a machine, we'll find the work to fill it up. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're in a bit of a unique situation where not all of the purchases, but a lot of the purchases that we've made in the last four or five years have been targeted to an account that came to us and said, hey, we want to give you this part of this family of parts. We took a look at it and said, hey, that could, that could be two or three machines. We're willing to make the investment if you're willing to make a long-term commitment to keep that work with us. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, we did that. We grew that way. Now, that that had us hone in on some key accounts, and um, that's great. And that equipment's up and running, and we've kind of passed that test with, with companies. But, um, you know, we have another machine coming in uh, in December, which is replacing an older machine, but it's more versatile. It's, it's uh, similar, identical to another piece of equipment that we have. So that, that's kind of more on the, on the spec side. But the, the machine tool side, as well as the support equipment, uh, you know, which we can talk about from a quality and, a, and an automation standpoint, has been really, really exciting for, for our company and our team. Yeah. Yeah. So people are approaching you saying, hey, we'll give you a long-term agreement, long-term contract, whatever, if you can support these production rates or whatnot. Are those coming from particular industries? Um, yeah, well... It's somewhat industry benign. We got one in the medical, one in the semiconductor. Uh, we've had robotic companies approach us as well. Um, aerospace is another big industry that we're uh, yeah. serving, and we've been uh, we've had ebbs and flows with defense, but we've started to see some of that work come back, which is great uh, for unfortunate reasons. But you know we're here to support um, yeah. our country in those efforts. So um, yeah, again, we try to stay within 
the niches and in, in the industries that we're familiar with, although, you know, we're not immune to looking at a new industry if it fits the criteria and the type of work that we do. I mean, shafts, pins, valves, because we have the grinding, you know, value stream within our four walls here, gives us a little bit of an advantage when it comes to tolerancing. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we have equipment that we can go down into the millions of an inch for tolerances on grinding. So, um, you know, we're pretty fortunate wow. and it, it's a bit of a, bit of a game changer and a, and a separation for us versus our competition. Do you attribute the, having that internal capabilities as a real strategic advantage over is this one of the reasons you're winning so much of this work and having people seek you out because you can do that? Or is it because of your sales team is just doing a great job out there, getting your name in front of buyers? And It's a combination. I, I certainly think having the grinding knowledge internally and the decades of experience with our engineering team on how to process parts, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we have, lathes and Swisses and milling machines, there's multiple ways to process parts that we make. We, we got mill turn, we have 12 axis Swiss machines. So, you know, what used to take three or four different operations is now made on one machine. Um, but maybe, maybe those machines are busy. So we've got to look at splitting operations up. But, you know, what do we want to turn for a finished diameter versus rough heat treat grind, right? So those types of decisions, because we have the knowledge I think gives us a little bit of an advantage. And, uh, you know, we have a tremendous uh, grinding team here that has, again, decades of experience. And uh, we make a part for a vaccine machine that 80% of the world's flu vaccine flows through. Mm. Uh, it's a really, really difficult part. Uh, and mm. if you don't process it correctly, by the time you go to come to the second grinding operation, it's not going to come into tolerance because there's a through hole. Uh, about an eighth of an inch in diameter that goes 17, 18 inches long. Holy you're holding, cow. You hold it a one-tenth cylindricity on the part. Um, it's Whoa. almost impossible to make. That's and that crazy. that comes with years. And, and we're still looking on ways to improve that process. And we're making that part for 25 years. That's amazing. It is, it is uh, when I show it on tours, it's, it's pretty, it's a real interesting part. A real difficult material is machining, heat treating, grinding, all sorts of different operations. It's quite quite a process okay. and one that we're pretty proud of based on what uh, transpired with COVID and vaccines over the last few years. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Are you gun drilling that then, that hole? We send it out to be gun drilled. We okay. actually look to gun drill that internally and we have the potential maybe to do that because of some of the newer equipment that we purchased. We haven't right. quite stepped into that realm just yet, but um, yeah, we basically uh, have to have to have that done outside because we can't do it. Can't do that internally. Wow, remarkable! So um, I have all these questions piling up in my head. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just curious. I was just at a EBITDA Growth Systems sort of planning summit, and they are talking about the percentage of revenue that a company should spend on its marketing and sales efforts. Do you have uh, any guidelines for how much you target to marketing and sales to make sure that pipeline is always as full as it can be? Uh, we actually budget very little money for that, believe it or not, on the marketing side. It's not intentional. And that would include your internal team. But the fact that you employ a marketing person just by itself would suggest that you are definitely investing time and money. Yes. Oh, no, no question about that. You know, and, yeah. and, you know, we work on our website and our presence and that's what's most important. We, we advertise in the Thomas register. That's a good, good feeder mm-hmm. for us. Um, 
We're part of the Connects Marketplace. Um, we're part of Sustainment Tech. So, you know, we do invest in different areas and look for opportunities. But honestly, word of mouth has been our biggest. We've, we've uh-huh. had some people that have left companies and we just got a call last week for two individuals who work for one of our key key accounts, went to another right. company. Yep. They're having problems with, with concentricity and parts and shafts and they're charged with finding a new supplier. Who do they call? They call Acurounds because they've worked with us and they know that we've been you know, successful in, in the prior engagement with them. So that's yeah. pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is a, uh, that's a great testament to obviously your reputation. Um, and it's good for people to take away because I can tell you at our shop, you know, we had buyers that moved, you know, over the course of 10 plus years to three or four different companies. And they kept calling us every time they moved to a new, you know, new company. Right. And they're like, Hey, our suppliers aren't that great. Why don't you come on here as well? It was just a really, you know, welcome call every time that happened. So um, I imagine it's because you do such a good job for them, delivery, quality, whatever, communication, just the whole package. Um, do you have any uh, specific thoughts or guidelines or, or maybe um, things that you uh, focus on as it relates to just providing exceptionally high customer service to your clients? We, uh, we read a book years ago called Secret Service by John DeJulius. And okay. he talks about um, hair salons uh-huh. and what he did to go on and above and provide a level of service and amenities and offerings to his clients. And so we just kind of coined that term secret service. Mm-hmm. Um, being upfront, being honest, being proactive, um, doing some inventory management, taking whatever we can off the plates of our customers mm-hmm. and providing them with an extra resource to do, uh, to, to, to keep an eye on what's going on with their business because we see it from a different vantage point. Um, you know, we, we have called customers many times and, you know, you might be getting low on this or is there an issue here or we see this and uh, you know, they more than appreciate that effort. And, mm-hmm. you know, by delivering on time, by providing them that level of service that, that gains you that ultimate trust that you need from a customer supplier relationship and just mm-hmm. building on that. And, you know, it gets back to our core values. Um, uh, and I've given yeah, I'd love to dig in on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big culture guy. I've, uh, uh, you know, we we rolled out core values years ago, and I can give you the story on that if you'd like. But, you know, understanding one of my main roles, other, other than providing opportunity for all our team members to grow and be successful, is to make sure they understand, you know, our core values and why we have them and the behaviors that are expected and, and that nobody's perfect. You know, we fail. It's okay to fail, and we want to have that environment that, that promotes that. What we hope we don't have too often are mistakes, which we call failures repeated. And believe me, we make mistakes. We make plenty of mistakes. But we want to learn from them. We use the lean term, pokey oak, uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, have that um, that um, postmortem on, on situations. So you can then learn and change the process or uh, add some training to train your team up so we can prevent things from happening uh, again in the future. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. So yes, I would love to know uh, your story about core values and how you introduced those and and why you thought that was important at the time. 
Well, we've been we've been doing lean for believe it or not, almost thirty years. We started our lean journey in nineteen ninety five, and, and oh, wow. it came okay. it came thanks to a Boston chapter NTMA speaker in the summer of ninety five that talked to us about world class manufacturing. So we started down. We 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 realized that if we didn't change the culture of our company in five years, we won't be out of business because we felt the winds of change and the demands of customers. And you know, it was kind of a, a leader follower situation. My father was very successful with that and it worked and it was fine uh, and we were successful, but we realized that we had to change. So, um, you know, we kind of codified, you know, really my father's values, but in talking with our management team and having meetings and working through uh, different words and phrases, we, we started with teamwork, integrity, and quality. Mm-hmm. And then through the years, we kind of upped those words. We, we went from teamwork to team first. Integrity became trust. Quality became excellence. And then we um, we won a Northeast Shingo Prize in 2006 for our lean activity. And we said, you know what? An initiative is a pretty big core value of ours right now. You know, we should adopt that and promote that and and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of aligns with, with our, our continuous improvement activity. So we added a fourth core value. And then about yeah, maybe 12 years ago now, um, I, had a, I had a speaker at a conference uh, he was um, talking about the core value gratitude and and imploring CEOs to adopt the core value gratitude. And that really, you know, the presentation stuck with me and what this individual had been through with his company and it burned down and he was talking about how grateful he was. I'm like, wow, that's, that's powerful stuff. Like we we talked about it with our management team and, and, you know, our entire team. And so we, we adopted our fifth core value gratitude and, we now have a pretty cool tagline, which is get it, but we didn't start there. We didn't fill in the words. It took many years to get to that point. So we uh, we established a logo a couple of years ago around get it. Um, mm-hmm. And we have some guiding principles. We have three bullets that define the behaviors under each core value. Uh, and, and I pulled those from different readings, whether it's um, turn the ship around, which I know Bill Berrien mentioned in his podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about that. Creating a lean culture by David Mann, kind of our Bible around lean. Um, the uh, 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 the speed of trust by Stephen mm-hmm. M. R. Covey. Um, mm-hmm. So I just compile the different the John Wooden's pyramid of success, just different things in books that are, and learnings and and you just end up putting these things together and and we have what we call the path to perfection, which starts with our corporate purpose, which is to be the defining standard for advanced manufacturing. A pretty bold statement for a small business. And our five core values and our behaviors are true north, which may not be a typical true north, but it, it's a simple equation. Human development plus velocity drives growth. But that's a double arrow. If you want to grow, hmm. you better be developing people and doing things better. And, wow. and the irony, when we first came up with that formula, we had the word speed instead of velocity. And then somebody was like, you know, you can go really fast in the wrong direction. And that's not <laughs> good. You know, you're, you're yes. right. So we flipped that word into velocity, which is speed in the right direction. It was a bit of, bit of a teaching moment for our yeah. team. So everything we do in the organization revolves at some level around developing people, doing things better in order to grow so our team can, can grow. And, you know, the reverse is true, as I mentioned. Um, you know, talent is, is scarce, finding talent. And there, there is no talent unless, you know, I take my competitor's guy and he takes our guy or he or she mm-hmm. takes our guy, whatever, or gal. 
that's a zero sum game. So you've got to develop your own talent. Yeah. We made a we made a commitment a couple of years ago. We took one of our sales team members and transitioned her into a coordinator role for what we call all you, A L L U, Accurounds, lifelong learning university. So we made a commitment to our team members that listen, we want you to have one or more learning objectives uh, at all times, and we're going to commit a resource internally. We have a director of and human resources, so it's additional support. Uh, for Diane, because it's a lot to put on one person's plate. Sure. Uh, so this individual has grown into this role and, and supports our team. We have a much more robust orientation program when team members join our team, as well as our continual uh, learning efforts, whether it's learning a machine or learning software or taking a, a troubleshooting cast on LinkedIn learning. Or I even told the team, and even if you're reading a cookbook, something as simple as that, you're stimulating your mind, you're learning, and that's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit you personally. It's going to benefit you professionally. It's going to benefit the company. And ultimately, by learning, you're adding skills. You're increasing your earning power. You're more flexible to our team. And it's just a win-win, and it kind of ramps forward uh, and all in the world, all, all around progress. That was awesome. <laughs> this is, quite honestly, this is this is exactly what I envisioned when I started this podcast, like a master class and how to run a machine shop really well. I mean, this could be applicable to any type of company, obviously, but uh, that was a whole lot of knowledge. Thank you so much. Um, gosh, where to go with the questions after that? Well, I'll tell um, you a little, a little play yeah. off of that, Paul. Sure. I can, I can pick up for you here. What I've done in my more recent presentations the last couple of years is I've, I've kind of, I used to give our lean journey and I still give presentations and I've had customers invite me to their planning meetings to talk about our successes and we've had mm -hmm. customers in and learn from us. But I think corporate social responsibility is becoming ever more important for just organizations in general. And you might not hear that discussed as much in the manufacturing world, but companies are doing it. And, and I think it's, it's more important. And I, I included, I got a couple of, you know, what's corporate social responsibility. So when I, when I Googled it, a few years ago, you've got the, the kind of standard definition. I'm going to, I'm going to read this if, uh, sure, yeah. if you indulge me for a minute. Corporate social responsibility is a continuing commitment by business to behave ethically and contribute to economic development while improving the quality of life of the workforce and their families, as well as of the local community and society at large. So that, that's pretty striking. Mm -hmm. And then Tom Peters, I came across his definition, which is a little simpler. And he starts with simply put, Today's noteworthy leaders will be those who put the nurturing of caring internal and external communities high on their daily and strategic agenda. And that, to me, nails what we've been working towards for, for years now because of our intense community involvement. Uh, a lot of different organizations that I'm involved with, whether it's NTMA, and I think I might have mentioned to you or, or somebody at the conference that... The conference I went to this year was the 50th year of me going to conferences. I know I might not look wow. that old, but my first NTMA conference was when I was 12 and I was in, and it was in London, <laughs> believe it or not, in oh, London, wow. where there was a thousand people in attendance, if you can believe that. So that, that kind of started me, that was the beginning of, of, of giving back. But, um, you know, we've taken that to heart here, whether it's recycling programs, we have solar on the roof. We have an Accu Fitness Center. Or we have an on-site gym. And we put the addition on 
Um, I told our team, listen, if everything goes well, we'll take the old cafeteria and turn it into a gym. Free gym before, after work, lunchtime, workout. Mm-hmm. It saves on money and saves on time. So that's, that's an adder. Uh, a couple of years ago, we purchased a farm. We purchased have a farm. AccuFarm. We have a hydroponic farm from Freight Farms, a 40 by 10 by 10 freight container that does hydroponic farming 24 7, 365. So, what do you do with that food? We give it to our team. Are you serious? I've got cucumbers that got picked yesterday in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> I, I've, I've picked a head of butterhead lettuce at, at noontime with a carrot, walked back in my office, cut it up, and there's my salad for lunch. And I'm telling you, there's nothing fresher or more tasty than a salad that gets picked and eaten in the same day next day. It's so tremendous. this farm is on site with your shop? Right behind our building. Yep. Who, uh, yep. can you just take a diversion for a second? <laughs> who who plants this? Who plants them? How's that? Does we, team uh, members do our, it? Or? Our, internal, yeah. our internal team has absorbed the labor. It's uh-huh. it's not that intense. It's sure. not not tens or hundreds of hours a week. It's, it's hours. It could be 10 to 20, depending on the week. Uh, yeah. We can divide that up amongst a few people. Uh, we had a little bit of assistance. My daughter actually got it going initially. She learned it and, and planted our initial crops. And then uh, a year ago, a year ago, October, we had our first harvest and we felt we fed our entire team of fresh salad at lunch. And we did some promoting on LinkedIn for that, which is really exciting. So what we do now is we, we harvest it, we bag it. We have a separate refrigerator in our cafeteria and our team members just take, take what they want. And we've grown different types of lettuces, Swiss chard, cucumbers, um, we've grown carrots, which that was interesting. We have some strawberries. I don't know if we haven't been too successful with that, but we're trying different things. But um, it has the capacity to grow a thousand heads of lettuce a week, which we could never consume. So we didn't do this to be a profit center, um, mm-hmm. but initially it's feeding our team. If it gets to the point where we're able to manage it full tilt or have some assistance, we could partner with a food pantry. We have Restaurant Depot a couple of doors down the down the uh, road here. We've yeah. got restaurant tours that we're friends with that we could partner with. I mean, it, who knows what it could, where it could go, but it's a, it's another learning experience and uh, it's another benefit. So getting back to the, the, the challenge for talent, if you can create and set up your organization as an employer of choice and, you know, we want to attract people that appreciate hydroponic farming and, and sustainability mm-hmm. and recycling. I personally think uh, we'll have hydroponic uh, gardens in our homes in five years. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be more of a thing because it just makes too much sense. So why not add it? It was a it was an interesting investment at the time, but we were a fortunate position that we could afford to do it. And um, we've given a few wow. tours here and there when the when the, the tour we give tours all the time, but a few tours of the garden, and people are just they're flabbergasted, blown away, can't believe it. Uh, it's pretty neat. Absolutely, it's no pretty kidding. neat. We've learned a lot. Yep. So, uh, and what other community engagement? and workforce development. And so I, and so if you could answer that, and then before I forget, I just, I do want to ask about your um, recruiting and the, the whole story around, you know, employees, as mm-hmm. you said, you don't want to be stealing from, you know, you don't want that zero sum game. Um, so do you have, um, do you have plenty of people wanting to apply because of your reputation? 
or do you still need to go very actively, you know, get involved with schools and yeah, so just kind of share what you're doing and how that's working. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll answer the first part and get back to that. that will lead right into the answer to that question. So what started 35 years ago, 40 years, well, 50 years ago with NTMA, but it was only 12. So it took me a while to get, get into things. <laughs> um, I started as an, uh, I, I started on the local advisory board for a machine technology program at Evoke Tech School down the street. Well, fast forward today, graduates that we've hired from that school are now chairing the advisory board. So we have so many people. It started with me and then it started with some of our leaders. And now we have all sorts of people in our organization from machinists to quality techs to uh, warehouse personnel to engineers to, you know, vice president of sales, director of HR. We go to schools and speak. We had a couple of individuals um, last week that went to school because it was STEM week in our state. It was manufacturing month. Uh, we give tours all year long to students. One of the most intriguing tours that we ever gave, we toured 150 fourth graders a couple of years ago. Wow. On consecutive Wednesdays, which gave me a little little anxiety at first, but I'll tell you, kids were unbelievable. But if we can give them their a, a mental impression at that age of advanced manufacturing, then when they get to middle school and high school, they're thinking that that's an option for them. Mm -hmm. as a career. So sponsoring robotic programs, doing job fairs. I mean, I, the list goes on and on of the activities that we do. And we do have a long list that I could end up sharing. But, you know, that has given us just some recognition. We had an individual student tour uh, our facility a couple times and a teacher that I spoke with recently said, you know, this, this person said, I, I want to do my co-op at Accurounds. I like what I saw there. Now, that's a that's a benefit that you get from doing that. That's not why we do it. We want mm -hmm. to expose, you know, students and young adults to the cool things that are happening in our industry. That's more exciting yeah. now to work in advanced manufacturing than any other time in the past. So, yeah. you know, everything that we do revolves around workforce development or promoting our industry. And it's part of our fabric. It's part of you know, who I've become. I, I, I volunteer on a bunch of different boards. Um, through association activity. I, I actually chaired, I was on the federal, uh, the New England Advisory Council for the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. Now I got, I got that opportunity through the president uh, and national grid who I served on the governor's STEM advisory council with. Mm -hmm. She recommended me that a, a small business manufacturer is not typical to go on a board like that. Yeah. But she saw my passion and my interest and you know, my involvement locally and nationally so I served on that board. And when I do these things, I tell our team, listen, you're giving me the time and opportunity to spend time outside of, outside of the company working these things. You're there with me. I'm representing you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's part of branding. It's personal development for me. It's professional development for me. But that's that's given our name, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Not many people knew about Acurons. We're more prominent now. We've become the quote-unquote go-to companies for small business and manufacturing in Massachusetts. And I chaired Business Leaders United out of Washington, D.C., which was a tremendous effort, all revolved around policy development for workforce uh, initiatives and funding at the federal level. Mm -hmm. um, I currently chair the Regional Advisory Board for a group called Career Spring, which is all around getting low-income first-gen students into successful career paths. It's a tremendous platform for advisees and advisors and um the Greater Boston Manufacturing Partnership I currently chair, which is a, um, a um, continuous improvement lean training arm that's sole focus is, is keeping and growing jobs and, and 
Massachusetts and New England. So again, I, I rattle these things off and I know people are like, oh, how can you do all this stuff? It, 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 it's worked for me. I got a great team internally that runs the day to day. I don't worry about getting jobs out or what happens here and there. I'm, our team is doing that. They're doing a great job mm-hmm. of it. Um, so I'm taking them on the road with me and reporting back and learning. And, uh, you know, the Antame conference was great. And I share my bullet points with our team. And uh, we've had other team members attend events. And PMPA had their mastery tour here in September. And, and you've got to share in this industry. There's a lot of work coming back from overseas, overseas as we've read. We're seeing more opportunity now than we've ever seen. We've got to gear up our companies through investment mm-hmm. and people and equipment so we can handle mm-hmm. it. We can't miss this opportunity. It's a golden time for advanced mm-hmm. manufacturing right now in our country. Yes, it sure is. <clears throat> um, I still have a million additional things now. So tell me about what it took. You clearly, as you said, have a really capable team that you have empowered to do their thing. Um, that probably wasn't always the case. There were times where you were getting jobs out the door and you were quoting or doing whatever you did. What did it take for you to, to shift that, to get to the place where you're not working really in the business at all? Um, did it, was that stuff that you always had in you? Did you have to learn to be a great leader and delegator? And, um, I'd just love to have you share about that. So I think from participation, at events like NTMA and conferences and, and constantly learning. I think time, age and experience does play into things. It has for me. Mm-hmm. I, my, my perspective on business and life has changed tremendously in the last 10 years. Um, I joined a Vistas group for five years, you know, the CEO peer to peer networking group, yep. which was tremendous yep. for me because I learned a lot. I shared a lot, but I learned a lot on, you know, running a business and, and driving value and, you know, taking care of your team. And, and then I've, I've been fortunate in the team that we've hired. We've got a long standing team here. My VP sales has been here, I think 20 years. Director HR has been here almost 20. Uh, Director of ops uh, has been here uh, just a little more than 10. And, and he is advancement. He's ratcheted through the company because of his intellect and, and, desire and capacity to learn. Uh, we're, we're very lean. We don't, we don't have a controller or a CFO. I'm kind of the de facto finance guy. I spend a couple hours a week. We close the books nine o'clock the next day and we're off to the next month because of how lean we are. We don't have a finance team. We have our, mm-hmm. our office administrator who does AP, AR. So we, we're saving money on the, on the front end there, which allows us to invest in our technical, whether it's on the engineering or, or machining or, supply chain, other areas that, that really drive value, uh, for our company. So, um, you know, we we have a mature team that that's been at it for a while. Uh, we're starting to bring in the kind of the next layer of, of younger generation. Uh, I call them kids. They're in their twenties and thirties, but mm-hmm. they're kids to me, cause that's where my, that's yeah. my kids ages. Right. And, sure. and it's, it's exciting to see the capacity that they have. Um, one of the coolest stories was a year ago, we had an intern come to us through a connection in our hometown and she was an engineering student, uh, biomedical engineering, but she was interested in learning about mechanical and we hired her for the summer and uh, we just got our first cobot delivered like a few weeks before. 
So she walked in and we pointed to the cobot and said, hey, that's a cobot and we want you to learn it and implement it. She didn't even know what the word cobot meant. Never mind what sure. it looked like. Well, two months later, she learned it, programmed it, 3D printed parts, connected stuff electronically, set it up, and it's picking in place of parts off a Swiss machine. Mm-hmm. And it was just a it was so cool. She was a tremendous, and she went on to graduate this past spring and got a job in on the mechanical engineering side, not the biomedical where she was originally going. Wow. And we actually named the cobot after her. Her name was Meg, and that's uh, our first cobot is Meg, which is pretty that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Really cool. So I'm fortunate with our team that we have and that we're starting to develop through our all you programs, uh, the next layer of, of leaders. You know, we used to be leader follower. I mentioned that term and leader, leader. We started down that road, then came across the book by David Marquet, turned the ship around. And really, we want to provide the facts and data into the people that, that could utilize them the most at the, at the core level of our business, right at the machine, so they can make the proper decisions. And that's really a focus of ours because everybody in our company is charged to do one thing, turn spindles. That's what we get paid to do, mm-hmm. spindle uptime. So right. uh, everything is geared around that. <sighs> you have an extra hour? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so sounds like your lean efforts have been really impactful in your office, not just in your shop floor. Yeah. Yeah, it has. We, we look at, you know, not just the manufacturing portion of what we do. Um, mm-hmm. Our our office closet with office supplies in it, paper and mm-hmm. pens and mm-hmm. clips and, you know, stuff to support the floor. That is organized to the point where there's a Velcro label right on the space where the place, the, whatever is being stored mm-hmm. there. So when we get down to the, the last pen or the last post-it note or the last, uh, right. you know, marker, that take gets taken off. It gets put on uh, Rebecca's desk. All the information for ordering is here, and it's here the next day. So right. very, very lean. And we're in the process of looking at all of our warehouse supplies to do the exact same type of organization. Yep. We have some level of organization, but we want to take sure. that to the next level because we just don't want to have the inventory and have all the shelves of, sure. of stock. You know, we don't want three months worth of boxes. We want a, a couple of weeks worth, and yeah. there could be some max min buys. But we want to. We were looking at space and inventory and, and cash management and, and just – pure organization, but, um, Mm. we've, you know, lean is, we've done it for almost 30 years. It still feels like day one. Every time I walk through that front door in the morning, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's constant. That's why it's continuous. Um, you know, you can't rest on your laurels. We, we had in 2006, we had those team of examiners come in and, you know, we learned a lot. We learned that we were doing a lot of lean things, but we weren't really being lean. They had a tough time seeing the content from our, long-term strategic objectives all the way through to our reward system and everything in between. And we worked really hard to show them that overnight to present those, that information the next day, but that got us down the road to, to the, the, the team member engagement and, and our core values and behaviors and really looking at an interesting content. And that I talk about, which is competence, clarity, alignment, and accountability. And this comes from uh, turn the ship around you have to start in whatever realm of your business with competent individuals that either you want to have the right attitude, hire for attitude, train for skill, of course. Mm-hmm. And people talk about accountability, but you can't really talk about accountability unless you have that clarity and alignment piece going, right? And that's really difficult in a contract environment. You don't just 
those are your expectations and you're aligned with the organization and walk away because mm -hmm. you could get a call from a customer that could change all that. Sure. Right. This afternoon. So yeah. we use standard work as a tool, a pretty aggressive tool. I track, I track what I do on a daily basis, almost to the minute and chunks of time. Mm -hmm. But I can go back six or seven years and tell you where I've spent time in the six buckets. I feel I need to spend time to provide the organization with the support it needs to be successful whether it's strategic, business mm -hmm. development, team member activity, community involvement, the finance piece, and kind of the all other, the admin admin piece. And I'm pretty neurotic about that. I'm a kind of a spreadsheet, spreadsheet kind of nerd, if you will, but mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm over-organized if you haven't figured that out yet. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I try to work with team members and there's no right or wrong way to do standard work. It's whatever works for you, but you want to understand if you're doing what the organization needs you to do. And if you understand it, and if it's aligned with the long-term objectives and even the short-term quarterly objectives of, of the team or objective, because right. it's, it's typically only, only one or two, um, and the constant dialogue around that. So through meetings and huddles and stand-ups and one-to-ones, that's how we try to you know, communicate that through our structure. Hmm. So I don't want to, we, uh, I don't want to go too much more, but I'm just, what are some of the tactical ways that you do lean? Are you doing Kaizen newspapers in different departments or how are you like finding these ways that people are solving uh, or big Kaizen events or some of each? We don't have, we, we do some smaller Kaizen events. Um, we have a program called Quick and Easy Kaizen where okay. we document, we, we do our best to document all of the little things that we've done. So we have a template. It's going to eliminate one or more of the seven deadly ways. And then we have books from going, I think it might be going back to 2007 or eight. We have them hanging in our kind of communication area in the shop. And then we share as much as we can. And we've been a little remiss recently on documenting them because a lot of our team members do it because they, it's just part of their job. Yeah, yeah. But the benefit of documenting is to share it. Some people in other parts of other value streams may not be able to see it. They may be able to implement the same idea or then take that and ratchet it up to, a, to even an even better idea. So we do that. We do um, a lot of um, training. We just had um, the GBMP as a Northeast Lean Conference for two days. They just uh, completed that. We sent a bunch of team members out to kind of refresh their, their thinking and training on that. Um, one of the first things we do with new team members is share the Toast Kaizen video with them. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but Bruce Hamilton, who's the president of, of GBMP, who I will be speaking with shortly because I talked to him a couple times a week uh, mm -hmm. since I chair that group. It's just how to make toast in your kitchen and how you can be mm -hmm. lean with it. So right. uh, we have a 3D printing group. We have three different members that do 3D printing for us and they're constantly printing things that are solving little, little issues on the floor mm -hmm. or making advancements on organization. Um, and we have several examples of that. And that's been a real key add for us. Uh, and way to engage our team because when I said to our team about seven or eight years ago, we need a 3D printer, they looked at me and said, why? And I said, I don't know, but we need one because I keep reading about it and it's going to be something that we can take advantage of. Sure. And lo and behold, day one, we printed a, a fixture for our laser marking machine that we were able to laser mark 25 pieces instead of one at a time. And it, it was a pretty inexpensive 3D mm -hmm. printer and it, and it paid for itself on day one. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. yeah cool it's stuff. So good. Cool um, I want to come back and ask, how did you get all the fourth graders to come to your shop? 
I understand, <laughs> you know, high school program, it's not that uncommon to have high school groups. How did you get fourth graders to come to your shop? So, so the power of networking, I was actually having dinner and the server was telling me that she was a teacher. And we got talking about STEM and I told her what we do. And, you know, we talked about touring students and she's like, would you do, would you tour fourth graders? Cause I'd love to bring our, my class in. Mm-hmm. And not only did she bring her class in, but she brought the entire fourth grade, uh, all the classes over the course of two Wednesdays. So total happenstance, right? Wow. But this is where, you know, when you're out and about and talking about what you do, you, you, you kind of keep that top of mind. I tell our team members, you know, our biggest source of referrals is our own team members making referrals of people who work here. But we're always keeping our eye on a server could be a good team member. One of our one of our advanced finishers worked in a nail salon. And my wife mentioned to me that she might be looking for a new opportunity. Hand salon, dexterity, tools. Yeah, absolutely. Not only is she advanced finisher, she's now taking classes for machining. We've already taken three females, females out of that group and put them on machines and they're doing fantastic. So you can, you, you never stop keeping that top of mind. It's not only when you're, you know, inside your company, it's when you're interacting with everyday people that might not be aware of what we do. And, you know, it's becoming, it's more, it's more a topic now than it's ever been our industry because of what's happened through COVID Mm -hmm. finally getting some of the do that we've been dying for, for decades. So we, again, take advantage of it, talk to your neighbors about it and you just never know. That's the answer to that question. It, pure happenstance and boom, right. fourth grade wow. came through. I love it. You mentioned reward system. Can you, is that profit sharing or some kind of uh, system like that? Can yeah, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a modified gain sharing program. So when we started lean in 95, you know, the old what's in it for me, why do I want to do this? Well, after we lost our top uh, lathe guy, our top Swiss guy and our top inspector or quality assurance tech in the first couple of years, it was pretty apparent that we were serious, that we wanted to move forward with what we were doing. And those people didn't want to share and, and their knowledge. Mm-hmm. It took us five years to put a program together. Um, and the lagging indicators are pretty simple. It's it's revenue, um, it's on-time delivery, it's cost of quality, which is internal and external rework and scrap. And it's a modified cost of sales factor. Um, because there's certain things that, you know, in the SGNA that I manage and I can budget almost to the penny every year going in, whether it's, um, you know, real estate costs, um, some other different types of investments we may make, you know, exact payroll, things like that. But 80 plus percent of the costs are included in our incentive program. So by hitting the targets and beating the cost factor, that determines the percentage that we pay, uh, and then rewards in a gross wage standpoint. It's a percentage of gross wage. And you know what? It's, we're going on close to 25 years, and that program has not needed to be changed. And we made improvements. Our cost of quality target this year is 0.60%, which, again, wraps all of those costs plus the cost of incidents mm-hmm. into it. And uh, you know, we're beating that again. Uh, and we were actually came in less than that last year, which is exciting. So it's been, wow. and we I, every year I present the program, I refresh the program. It's a little bit difficult for team members to understand maybe the first time around, but we try to talk about it and coach our team up so they do have a understanding of how they impact it because they do in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I explained that I wrapped the cost of sales target into um, five different cost buckets with some detail behind it. 
Wow. Okay. That is excellent. Um, I, uh, I wanted to ask when you talk about values and all the other things that you mentioned, do I imagine you must communicate this and communicate this and communicate this to your team. Um, if you go up to your average employee, can they, can they recite your core values? Do you think? I think most of them can. We have them plastered in our cafeteria. We have the logos up there. So I may turn and look at the logo, but sure. I constantly, we constantly talk about them and we use them in decision-making and yeah. we use them in, might have to have a difficult conversation with a team member about something. And we might start the conversation with gratitude. You know, what are we grateful for? Um, we start, we have what we call level 10 meetings um, with, with our exec team and, you know, what, what, What's good? What, 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 what mm-hmm. are we going to share for gratitude? That's how we start our meetings. Too, because that's a mindset, right? It's not you got to sit back and think about things. You want to be constantly thinking about mm-hmm. um, gratitude. So, um, yeah, I, I know, I know, just about most, if not all, of our team members can uh, recite awesome. most, if not all, of our core values, and, and they understand the importance of it. Right. Do you use EOS to run your company? You said at L10 meetings. Well, that, that's, that's where we got the level 10. That was from a Vistage speaker, actually. We never adopted and went through the training, but I took some right. of the bullet points and incorporated yeah. some of the terminology and learnings from that. Okay. Just, just another example, right, of, right. of learning things. I was wondering if you're going to pick up on that. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So um, I do want to be cognizant of time, uh, but it is so obvious that you are a lifelong learner. You've talked about speakers at NTMA, about books, conferences, um, you know, you're just constantly learning, it sounds like. And it sounds also to me like you're instilling that in your company as well with the, with the all you. And um, can you just speak to like what you believe is the importance of being a lifelong learner and consuming content and books and networking and talking to people and, um, and how big of an impact that's had on you as a leader and your company? Sure. I think it's part of being, you know, a holistic employer and and offering that type of uh, holistic uh, approach to your team members. So I've talked to high school kids and I said, the biggest misnomer our country has sent is that if you don't go to college, you're a failure. Mm -hmm. College isn't for everybody, but the caveat is lifelong learning. Um, Things are changing so dynamically, especially in our industry. Yeah. You know, with robotics and automation and 3D printing and machine monitoring, big data. That's yesterday's news, right? That's that maybe 10 years ago. That was cool stuff. And wow, what is it? Well, now that's embedded in our organizations. Now it's, you know, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality. And how are those things impacting our business? So um, there's never been more, an ex- more, more of an exciting time to be in our industry. But you've got to learn. You've got to determine what, what's best for you, you know. Just because uh, the company down the street is having success doing something, that doesn't mean it's going to work in your organization. Lean is a great example. There's certain lean tools that will work at Acronyms that won't work elsewhere and vice versa. You've got to determine that. And that's the challenge of lean. That's easy. It's easy to understand. It's difficult to implement and really difficult to sustain. So the only way you do that is, is constantly doing the refresh. And, you know, you mentioned continually sending the message about core values and other things. Now I used to, years ago, I used to get up and have an all hands meeting and I'd say something. And then a couple of weeks go by and I'm like, didn't I, didn't I talk about that? Didn't I mention that? Well, what I learned is that 
you can't just say it once or twice or five or 10 or 20 times. Mm -hmm. It might be continual. One of my constant messages right now is cybersecurity and, and, you know, phishing emails and texts and, you know, that's a huge concern from a security standpoint, right? So we're in the process of getting our CMMC certification and, and working towards that, but it only takes one click from a team member and you could be exposed and your whole mm-hmm. company could be shut down mm-hmm. temporarily or permanently. And I am constantly reminding our team members about that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's ingrained in our organization. It's a, it's a work in progress. We have a lot of opportunity to improve there, but, uh, hopefully through, you know, the action of myself and others and the constant promoting and offering of our team, we have LinkedIn learning, which is access to, a, you know, thousands of, opportunities to take classes in little snippets. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to take a class, the opportunity to do that it could be, you know, conflict resolution, you know, right. troubleshooting, programming. Sure. Uh, our team members have taken all sorts of advantages of those opportunities. Very cool. Yeah. I haven't had someone mention LinkedIn learning. I certainly see them come through and I've done a couple of little ones myself, but um, mm-hmm. that's neat. Um, I just want to, I'm sure I already know the answer, but I just want to give a plug since you and I connected through NTMA. Can you just talk about, I mean, you know, part of this is hopefully giving others some some action items, some things they can do in their business. Mm-hmm. Tell them they should join NTMA and other organizations like PMPA. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we've been almost lifelong members of NTMA. I mean, we've been mm-hmm. pretty much since uh, the start of our company. Um, and it's, it provides tremendous benefit. I think uh, one of the most important things an owner can do and anybody in, in an organization in a leadership role is to network. And there's no better way to network through organization activity. Um, you know, I have a group of, of a few companies that are NTMA members and we jump on a call once a month and we just mm-hmm. just talk about business and life and it's like yeah. a mini, it's like a mini vistage, right? Yeah. An hour a month of, of it's a mental health check-in too. It's great, but that's what's most important. If you're get if you're getting just going in this business, mm-hmm. latch onto something, get involved, give back. Um, these are things that are, are paramount when you're starting any business, especially if you're in advanced manufacturing. And NTMA is I can't say enough about. Uh, you know, I've been going conferences for fifty years, and uh, mm-hmm. they're a tremendous group. Um, I've learned a ton from them uh, with more recent PMPA members and they have great offerings as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I guess one last question and maybe you just answered that. Um, but what would be your advice to shops that are earlier in their journey than you are? Yeah, it would be, it would be, you know, network, get involved in associations, uh, get involved in your community. You know, understand all the disciplines there. That that to me uh, is most important. And you know, from a from a strategic from a strategic standpoint, understand who you are. Stay in your niche. Don't try try to be everything to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And if if you come across a customer that just isn't treating you right, don't be afraid in in the proper manner to step up. You know, one of the mm-hmm. one of the biggest decisions we ever made was to visit a customer and I took our key players up to our customer and said, listen, we went from your best supplier, performing supplier to your worst. And one of the main reasons is we're being pushed onto these 
other suppliers, heat treaters, platers, whatnot, they're not performing and it's killing us. We're losing money. We can't honor the LTA. Mm-hmm. I think they thought we were going up there to get on our knees and beg to keep the work. <laughs> but we didn't. We stood up to a multi-billion dollar company. They left the conference room and they came back and said, you know what? We're going to tear it up. You tell us the parts you want to keep and we'll renegotiate. Wow. And that to me showed me that number one, I admire the heck out of that company. And now they went from, we went from being one of their worst to one of their best. And mm-hmm. we continue to quote new work. We, we get two quote packages right in right now. We get another, they were quoting. So we're continuing to grow with them. So, you know, maybe other companies wouldn't have reacted that way. And you, you probably don't want to do business with them if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to put you under that to rest because they'll put you out of business if you don't, if you're not careful. Sure. So um, I think that's very, very important. Stay in your lane and, and stand up for yourself. Brilliant. Well, I am almost 100% positive we're going to be asked by it to do a, a, a round two with you because there's a lot more questions and this has been so, so uh, uh, just knowledge packed. So thank you, Michael, so much. This has been, uh, you, you are clearly, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm taking notes and thinking about questions and how to even frame the summary of this. I think you're one of the most thoughtful people, people I've had on this, you know, just the way you clearly think about your business and lean and um, culture and even just your description of morphing the, 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 the actual core values, right? From, you know, from speed to velocity or, you know, uh, all these various things. It's just a, clearly a very high level of thoughtfulness. So I appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Uh, Paul, it's been a pleasure, a lot of fun. Uh, talking to you. Happy to happy to join you at a later time to to continue the conversation. And um, I I would just want to thank you for shining a light on the things that we do um, on advanced manufacturing and promoting our work. Because I don't care whether you're turning on your phone, getting on your computer, getting in a car, going on a plane. Right? It starts with companies like us. Yeah, absolutely. And not enough not enough people in, in our country or the world know about it. So uh, I really appreciate what you're doing for our industry. And it's, uh, it's been fun. It's been a fun, uh, fun conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you, Michael, again, so much. Uh, look forward to when this releases. Uh, and uh, I know we'll have lots of people sharing about uh, their takeaways. So thank you again. I appreciate it. And yes, I do expect we'll reach out for a number two at some point. But thanks Sweet. again for today. It's been awesome. Sounds great. Thank you, Paul. All right. Bye. Take Mike. care. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast. We hope you learned something that inspires you on your journey. You can find more episodes and information over on our website, MachineShopMastery.com. There, you can also apply or nominate someone to be a guest on the show. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, keep those spindles turning.